You're listening to 2.23am with Dr. Christine McDougall. Are you ready for a new kind of success and fulfillment? End the silent struggle. Join us as Dr. Christine McDougall speaks to successful, high-achieving men as they share their journey towards a more fulfilling and sustainable life and business and discover the better alternative. It's 2.23am and the life of your future is calling. Martin Lucas is an award-winning strategist and problem solver who has modelled the why of human behaviour, how to leverage that data and use it to drive science-based growth for marketing and advertising. Martin has just completed a three-year study to decode the human algorithm in order to understand how we make decisions, what drives our emotions, biases, behaviours, habits, and which science, psychology, philosophy, and math you can use to model those insights to create positive change. His career has been a mix of award-winning enterprise sales, marketing, and product management leadership, alongside the entrepreneurship of creating three businesses and publishing three books. In this episode, we discuss the importance of emotional intelligence, We consider Alan Watts's quote, you can't address the thought until you address the thinker. We talk about the future of humanity, social media and its effects, and much, much more. Please enjoy this conversation with Martin Lucas. Thank you, Martin, very much for agreeing to be uh, part of this podcast session. As you know, um, we'll be really uh, having a conversation about what it means to be a a male in today's society, but also um, how we create and craft businesses that support the future of all of humanity. So um, I really appreciate you making the time to be here. You're very welcome. So my first question is, I'm going to sort of ask with that broad stroke, uh, given our current global political fiasco, let's just, call it that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think the UK is alone in their fiascoism, a new term, but given our current global political thing and also the whole Me Too and, and the future of work, et cetera, et cetera, let's start with how, 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 what's your experience of being a male in this current society? I think it's an, it's an interesting question for sure. I mean, the first place that I would go to is I've just completed three years of, of research looking at, looking at human behavior, right? And mm-hmm. part of what that had me looking at was a lot of the Me Too stuff, a lot of what I call social psychology, and I literally mean social media psychology. And I see that there's lots of threats and there's lots of opportunity. And what I mean by the opportunity is that we're getting to a point and I've done, you know, I'm 40 years old and I've spent a significant amount of time working on women's rights and equality where I can, proactive charity, that kind of stuff, right? And mm-hmm. I think that we're going to reach a point where the male needs to be more aware of what their behavior is because we have an inherent kind of bias problem when it comes to sexist behavior, aggressive behavior, male dominant behavior. Are you with me? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I'm very with you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think one of the biggest problems that I see with that in terms of people's day-to-day behavior is that they're not aware of it. Yeah. Like if you think about the brain doesn't work on good or bad. I always describe this to people. It's this kind of efficiency trick. What happens is when the brain is going through its what I call the the two formants, right? It's very common known two formants, zero to seven years old, seven to 14 years old. Um, I call that like the forming of like your behaviors and then your habits. And we've got millions of them inside the brain. And if you had to consciously think about them, you literally wouldn't be able to dress yourself. You wouldn't be able to make a cup of coffee. But where that becomes a bigger problem is when it's all the little nuances of how you treat other people and how you behave. Because it's exactly the same habits and behaviors of how you happen to make a cup of tea as how you look at somebody or how you speak to them or your tonal delivery or something. Yes. And that's a challenge in today's world, right? I mean, it's always been a challenge, but the Me Too uh, and other things has caused more of an uprising that, that makes that more possible, don't you think? Yes. So how do we see what we can't see? Well, the, I think, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's going to have to start with, I mean, training and awareness, really. Because that's, that's mm-hmm. part of it, that if the, if the male is not aware, and it's not exclusively a male problem, there's, there's a yeah. female challenge here as well. Because the, in order to reach an idea of equality, it's like, when do we stop playing the traditional roles? And I do not mean um, the woman is the housewife. I don't mean that at all. That's, that's hopefully is a couple of generations ago. But you're still in a situation where you have the female generally has more maternal instincts, more motherly type instincts, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. the male still has more of the hunter-gatherer stuff. And they, these, these are things that have been inherent inside the human brain for millions of years. Yes. Um, so you've got to start picking that apart. But I think it just starts with how you treat one another. But how far can we go before the rules become too onerous and that takes me to the the kind of wider context is when I was doing a lot of the study I did a lot of the social psychology right and you could go Mm -hmm. on Twitter for 15 minutes and within 15 minutes you can see people blaming what is going on in their lives on other people Mm -hmm. and what you've basically got is a culture of blame going on where I am blaming somebody and I might be um, an ethnic minority or I might be, have a different sexual preference to the, to the mass, if you like, or I might just be a female in a particular situation, right? And I'm not saying that everybody in those areas doesn't have a point at times, but what I'm yeah. seeing rising is this trend where people are blaming everything mm-hmm. on other people, even though it doesn't have a direct cause and effect. You see what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah. So, so where do you think that that like um, not looking, not being self-reflective, or, or not uh, not considering the question that um, it might actually not be somebody else's fault that I have the the opportunity to look at myself or to to make a different choice or whatever? You know, where 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 is that coming from, and and what can we deal? How can we deal with this? Because I agree, you know, that the the level of blame and toxicity and 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 projection on others. I, I mean, it's not going to solve anything. It's just going to create more divisiveness. Yeah, I mean, it's it's in terms of how you solve it. It actually comes back to exactly the same categories we were talking about the the education and the awareness, right? Because 
what social media has done, I always talk about full digestion period. So, if so I, I talk about a what? Sorry, I missed the, the, the comment. Um, full maybe a digestion period. Okay. So I liken it the same way as if I get a drug tested, right? So if I'm a billion dollar yes. pharmaceutical company, I go to a very teeny tiny um, UK government, Australian government organization, and I say, here's our test results for the drugs. They do a few tests and it gets signed off, right? Yeah. And you don't know the long-term effects of that drug for 15 to 20 years. So we Correct. sign off things and then we find out later, oops, that, that's not particularly healthy, even though it was supposed to be, right? Yeah. I, have, I apply the same things to all kind of behaviors about what humans do. And when you look at the digital age and the growth of um, smartphones moving into social media and things like that as well, we're starting to move into that digestion period time. And what social media has done is, is given people this idea that sharing everything is the way forward. Like if you're not sharing something, literally, it's not yeah. worth doing. And the problem with doing that is that you run out of things to say and there's always a, an opportunity. You know, the I don't know if keeping up with the Joneses, is that a, a phrase in Australia that is in the UK? Uh, it, yeah, yeah, it is. Right. It is a phrase in Australia, yeah. Probably and, we got it from you. <laughs> <laughs> and to give context to what I mean to that is um, my favourite social media used to be Instagram uh, because I love pictures, right, and I love photos. And, but it's the biggest generator of anxiety and depression. They've done a study. It's the worst one out there because vision right. and all these things that people have got and, and social media becomes a cause and effect. Like whatever its purpose is, is what people use it for. So imagery is actually much worse for rising anxiety and depression. So going back to the original question is that the reason that all of this is rising is that we've got to this point where we've literally got a generation coming into adulthood now, those born from the year 2000s just turning 18, going to be 19, that, that type of age, where all they've known is social media and all they've known is sharing and all they've known is this kind of digital economy, which means that their emotions are not checked at the door, if you like. They literally put them out in a digital sense. So the more unhappy you are, the more anxiety that we generate, the more likely it is that you'll go back to that same medium without having a conscious thought and just putting out those kind of aggravations, those things that you feel inside. And then when other people do it, it's like getting permission that everybody feels the same. So you see what I mean? It's like a it's water cycle. cycle. Yeah. A vicious cycle kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. So it yeah. leaves you it leaves you with two two very similar things but massively different causes. And it's it for me it's the it's almost like we're getting to a lesser state of consciousness as a society. So you've got okay. men that are not necessarily aware that what they do is sexist. And then you've got masses of people behaving on social media in a way that actually just debilitates them as a person, but they, they believe they're getting a sense of release from it. Does that make sense? Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, just in reference to the social media, um, I, I wrote a piece last week um, because I just realized that um, myself, and I, I'm definitely not in that generation that you just mentioned, um, but myself, that I noticed that I was, uh, I had been 
inadvertently and just slowly over a period of time looking at my Facebook feed and seeing people doing all these amazing things and, and feeling awful. Like, yeah. why? look what they're doing. Why am I not doing it? You know, what's wrong with me? Um, how come I haven't got this da-da-da-da, you know, this glittery, glamorous, whatever life? And, and I, I caught myself going, I feel sick just looking at this. And so, you know, that was a bit of a shock because because yeah, yeah, I've been around the traps a bit and I've done quite a lot of work on my own emotional intelligence and so on. And so to realise that I had been infected yeah. <laughs> um, was a bit of a shock. You know, and there you go. That's, that's the thing about the behaviours that I was talking about is that unconscious behaviours arrive and they become habits and, and you don't know the, the full cause and effect of what's going to happen to you as an individual. And that's one yeah. of the challenges. And I, I don't, it's not that I'm completely anti-social media or, or throwing a, a flag up about that because you can't halt change, right? It's still going to happen. But change without awareness is where the problems arise, um, really. And as I give a, as I say when I'm giving, giving talks or on stage, I said, you know, put your hands up the last time you posted a picture on Facebook if you're having an argument with your partner or with your friend. <laughs> <laughs> nobody puts their hand up right because we post the pictures of this lovely meal and how happy we yeah. are and things like that so yeah. everyone's not necessarily meaning it or I guess they are certainly on Instagram yeah. but we're selling a perception that people are happier than what they are yeah 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 and and if you're not in that state if if you're if you happen to be going through a dark time you go to a social media feed and it doesn't unless you're really strong or something it doesn't really make you feel any better it possibly makes you feel worse like i noticed with myself yeah it gives it gives you the validation for how you actually feel so let's go back to the the me too type stuff right so if i'm um let's say that i'm a, a gay woman who happens to be an ethnic minority then and i don't feel good about myself is i can find evidence on Twitter and I can unleash, unleash evidence that the reason that I'm being held back in life is my sexual preference, is the color of my skin, is the, the gender that I am. And there isn't, there isn't full validity for me as an individual to believe that. However, I can get that kind of endorsement on Twitter because mm -hmm. everyone else is saying similar types of things. So what I'm saying is, and I want to be super clear about this, is I'm not saying that people don't have validity. There is a lot of sexism in the world. I love emotional intelligence. I'm happy that emotional intelligence is starting to rise, even to be understood, let alone to be something that is cherished. Because, in a, and this is kind of sexist, I guess, emotional intelligence is generally something that females have more of than men. They're generally better at it. You can't say 100% yeah. one side than the other, but women are generally better at it. it is the, it's the maternal component of it, to a degree. You know, the... the yeah like women need to be able to read faces and emotions better than what men do because that was the more of the original roles of what we had millions of years ago, which is not sexist, mm -hmm. just how things were then. But as fast forward yeah. into today, it's much more about if you have that emotional intelligence, like what can you do with it and where does the opportunity sit, I guess. So, so going back to, um, and, and let's sort of go to, uh, to children, for example, yeah. <laughs> young kids. Mm. What, what do you see is, is the alternative path for um, awareness and education for, for young, ch young kids around not just the 
the, uh, the continuing um, use of technology, including social media, uh, but also the way they're you know, brought up to respond to diversity and difference. Well, I think there's still a huge, I mean, part of what I did within those three years, one of the companies that I worked with, there was um, a recruitment company, international recruitment company dealt with teachers, right? So I got a lot of exposure to the education system. And I heard and saw a lot um, where we've still got this big gap about what life skills actually is. And it does draw itself back to emotional intelligence. So I'll give it a little bit of context, is that we're still caught within this industrial IQ model age, right? So the IQ Mm -hmm. model was from a book that was written 104, 105 years ago. And the industrial age looks at productivity type behaviors, right? And every human, like through the course of time, humanity has five common behavioral traits. It has language, it has tool making, it has music, it has art, and it has religion. And I'm not going to get into a religion debate. I don't literally mean organized (laughs) or, or spirituality or anything like that. I just mean that these are the five most common things in terms of how humans naturally divide what their skills and interests are. And what we don't do is nurture the creative components of the human mind. And I would put a human, I would put emotional intelligence under creativity, like your ability to, to recognize a feeling inside somebody because of their face, because of their emotion, because of their words, because of their tone. I mean, it's a creative art form in itself. But what I found in that education space was that we've gone so far into this industrial age, and I can only speak for the UK with this, but the UK is so obsessed with the scores that, that schools get, the, off, the Ofcom, Ofsted sorry, um, measurements, and thus the results that the kids get from any particular age, the life skills and arts and life capabilities just doesn't come into it. So mm-hmm. for me, it's like, when does that archaic industrial age end? And will it ever? Because it's so connected into capitalism anyway. It's like one of the tools that creates the kind of worker drone type component. Yes. <laughs> You've now opened a really big <laughs> yeah. a really big conversation. <laughs> uh, you know, which is uh which is one of my passions of how we um you know the 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 beast of our economic system is to um a, a good friend of mine from the United States used to say greedy little caterpillars eating up all the leaves. And, uh, and endless growth until, of course, there's nothing left in a yeah. finite universe. <laughs> yeah, no, I get it. I mean, for, I mean, part of the solution for me is ideology, right? So every ism is an ideology. And yeah. at the moment, I, would, I, I believe that there's always three ideologies kind of driving the world at any given time, right? So the, and it does change all the time. Uh, and I mean, in, within a within a century, or if you look at the Strauss-Howe model, which was a scientific model, they said the biggest wave, waves of change happen once every fourth generation, and they went back over mm-hmm. 500 years of American history. It's a very uh, renowned model that came up in the late 90s, and we're we're right in the middle of that fourth generation change at the moment. And I think the dominant forces we've got is capitalism, 100%, which is then feeding consumerism, and the more that we have, it's not making us any happier. We're just getting sold lots of different things as a perception that then we buy even more stuff and it doesn't make us happier, so we buy even more stuff. And then the third wheel for me at the moment is, and this comes back to your when you were talking about the political state of the world at the moment, is 
I think it's caught somewhere between individualism and isolationism. And what's the right. difference between the two is individualism is more me. Let's imagine me as a person that says I'm out to get everything I want to get and I'm the only person that matters and I'm going to look after myself and I don't care about others. So a little bit of loss, mm-hmm. um, sharing in love, if you like. And isolationism is much more about the rising kind of right-wing behaviours, the onerous political game, the what I call the grey face of humanity. Like somebody's got it in it for me and thus, you know, you can manipulate Facebook data, which I predicted way before the Cambridge Analytica stuff, which is not me trying to be a smart ass. I'm, I'm just saying that that data is still there for the taking. But I think that we could start a step change where we just look at a differentism. We take out the isolationism, the individualism, and just put a bit of human back into the system. Um, humanism. Yeah, 100%. I, I think humanism yeah. has an opportunity. And I think that what, where we can link the entire thing that we've talked about together in terms of um, helping people to have more awareness so they stop blaming everything on, on this grey face of humanity and how we can help men et al to deal with um what might be inherent generational kind of sexist or just bad behavior is emotional intelligence i think mm-hmm. i think that's what it comes down to is like if you can teach people to have the awareness of self and i, I there's a fascinating one the philosopher alan watts i absolutely love him for anyone listening to this the, there's you should go on youtube and search for what if money didn't matter so it's part of a lecture that he did, uh, I think, in the 60s. And it's just brilliant. It's three minutes of absolute brilliance. And I listen to it once once a month. But um, I was listening to a lecture that he did the other day. And uh, he talked about, you can't address the thought until you address the thinker. And I thought that was absolutely brilliant. So let's just break, break it down to not confuse it as some philosophical thing. What he was basically saying was that you can't understand how you behave unless you understand why you behave the the way that you do. If you understand your core, your bias, why you do what you do. You see where I'm going? Yeah. No, yeah. So, so it's kind of like the know thyself that is the person that takes these actions. That is the person that, that treats a woman or a child in a particular way, et cetera, et cetera. And where does that come from? And, And even a more profound question is, is that, actually yours or did you inherit it from some cultural or religious or family story exactly exactly so so when we're born you have a chemical and biological predisposition in your body Mm -hmm. with your brain everything else is what you are shown and what you're taught and Mm -hmm. most of that we're taught unconsciously so for me, it's the emotional intelligence, because what does emotional intelligence do? I mean, I've got a great friend, Jackie Jenks, who's won a, an OBE for her work in mentoring, right? And she is still amazed to this day when she runs workshops and classes and groups about emotional intelligence that is literally um, new to people. Like right. you're talking about senior leaders, you're talking about people that have been in the world for x amount of time and she also does it for uh, young people and it's like they've never even heard the term before yeah so so for me doing a one-on-one of emotional intelligence it helps you to think about yourself and how you behave and how that those actions impact other people and going back to when i had a sales training business i I used to love telling people i said that 70 percent of what you do is non-verbal communication how you look 
how you move, all the different components that sit around that. So I always give the example where I say, you know, have you ever been to a meeting and you come away and you say, hey, Christine, how was the meeting? Christine says, well, you know, it was good, but there's just not something. Yeah, I'm just not going to follow up with it. You know what I mean with those kind of situations? Yeah. And yeah. that's, that's your instinct. That's, that's your ability for your unconscious mind to take in those emotions, to understand them, to process mass amounts of data, and then to send a conscious thought that says, no, that person didn't believe in themselves, or there was something wrong yeah. said. So yeah. emotional intelligence is not just, it gets, it gets tagged with, in a sexist way in itself because it has the word emotion in it, right? That's just the yeah. reality of the world. Whereas emotional intelligence just nourishes people. It helps them be aware of who they are. It helps them understand the impact of their actions on other people and other people's actions on them. And I think it sets the course for them to understand like that kind of awareness of what we're talking about with social media and stuff. But I, I just think that it's a fundamental thing that even if you just did a basic one-on-one that people would win from it. So, so if you, if you just, for those people who may not have a context for emotional intelligence, I, you know, I was with you, I thought most people did at this stage, but obviously not. Can you give it like a short descriptor or how would you describe it in a, a couple of sentences? Horses have inherent intel- intelligence. Every human does. So when born, a horse can get up and walk quite quickly. Yeah. Uh, for a human... They can't walk when they're first born, but if you see a newborn baby, the first thing that it does is start scanning the room and when it detects another human's face, it starts reading it, it starts understanding it. And that's our connection to the emotion, that's our connection to the world. So from when you're born, the first thing you want to do is understand how people feel because that makes you safe. And that's emotional intelligence to me. And so can I just add an, another bit to that, which yeah. is that that quite often our emotional response is hijacked. Uh, and so we can have a reflexive response. Um, and I literally wrote a piece about this this morning yeah. and uh, because it, it happened to me and where I, ha- I noticed I, I received an email, I had a response that was not a very good response. And, um, and then I went down the path of telling myself this whole story about this email, <laughs> right. um, which, which made me, which diminished myself to myself. <laughs> yeah. and, then, and then I reread the email and went, oh, actually, that's not entire. What they were doing was completely the opposite. And it was just so funny because I had uh, allowed my my reflexive lizard response to hijack my whole being. But the good news was that I had, I saw it, you know, I, I got to see it and I'm going, oh, wow, look at that. And so part of emotional intelligence training, as I understand it and have worked with people around, is first of all the recognition that we are triggered by a set of things and that when we're triggered that there is the opportunity to understand why we're triggered uh, and if we and we can choose a different response. We don't have to be uh, the person doing road rage or we don't have to be the person that gets angry at the person who's in road rage. I, th- I think that's a brilliant example. I call the, I say that the E in email stands for emotive. <laughs> right, right, uh, right. <laughs> it, it, um, it's sent by the person in a certain tone and meant in a certain tone, but it's read by the people in whatever emotional state that they're in. It's for those reasons yeah. that I don't have... I don't have email on my phone for those reasons because I can be too reactive at times. So I've just eliminated that and I stopped stopped having email on my phone a couple of years ago because I just had a really simple approach to it, which was 
if the world is ending and somebody needs me, then they'll call me. Otherwise, yes. I can't possibly be that urgent. I've just got myself into a trap with it. And I mean, you could, again, I guess I'm slogging social media a little bit today, but you could have the same context with social media. I don't have social media on my phone because why do I need it? What yeah. could possibly be happening that I need to have those types of updates, you know? Well, well, but what you're speaking to actually is is really an important topic, which is the the, the parameters that you've put in place um, that enable you to stay grounded uh, and, um, I'm trying to think of the word, grounded and able to, be, to respond to the world as a sovereign being, not as a reflexive being. Um, and so you're, you're, you're creating circumstances and putting sort of boundaries around your own space that give you the best chance for a response that's more authentic to who you are. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what the main thing that I anchored those kinds of changes in is that I wanted to take back time. Okay. And what I mean by that is that I was caught, as everybody does, uh, just rushing through stuff and feeling like I had no time. And when you look yeah. at what I was actually filling my time with, it was just things that were wasting my time that I'd mm. myself were needed. Like mm. the amount of time that you need to check social media, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. I was looking at emails and overthinking emails and stuff like that. And, and since I made the change, like the world hasn't ended. Nothing. <laughs> I, I, would, I, would, I would say beyond anything else, I probably got more productive because I've literally eliminated those things, uh, even to the point that I don't have TV in terms of cable. So I have a TV, right? But um, yeah. I, I only watch uh, some on-demand movies, occasional DVD, that kind of stuff. I read a lot more than what I used to. I have more time. I don't take my phone when I walk my dogs. It's, and, and all of it was really simple to do, but I feel much better. I feel much, much more um, nourished as a person. Yes. Yeah, very good. Uh, so I just, I'd like to ask you a couple of um, sort of questions that I'm putting out to most of the people that I'm speaking to. So the first one is, what does it mean to you to be strong? Um, strength for me has always been about helping other people. That's just okay. the, the nature of, of, of how I am. So I believe that, that your strength is, is that when you're comfortable inside, it means that you're okay, you feel good about yourself, and therefore you're okay to help people that matter to you and to help other people. I like changing the world where I can. So that cool. <laughs> Very good. What about vulnerability? I think honesty and openness. But let's examine what that means because I don't want to be misconstrued. I don't mean honesty and openness in terms of social media. And I did all that. Right. I did that kind of stuff, you know, uh, particularly on Twitter and things. I used to share a lot. I'd build up a big following, stuff like that, right? Relatively speaking in terms of a big following. But vulnerability to me is is being open to those that matter to you it's not about being mm -hmm. open to everybody but it's about letting them know that it's okay to share how they feel and people mm -hmm. can know that if you do the same it's like an unconscious conversation that happens between the brains in my opinion okay and so do you do you um in your own personal experience do you have vulnerable and uh intimate as in um deeply personal intimate type conversations with um other males I do. As I always have. Yeah, no, I always, you always have. have. Yeah. Right. 
I'm I'm a bit of I'm a little bit of an outlier in that respect. Um, yeah, I've I've put some other men in uncomfortable positions in terms of what I've talked about, and I don't mean it because I don't have the lines right. So I've always talked about emotions and feelings and things like that because it's always been a subject that I've done and it's come naturally to me. So yeah, no, I've pushed boundaries with people without realizing they were boundaries. Sometimes good, sometimes bad, but you know what can you do? Right, and and I mean because that's. In my mind, that's one of the the uh, um, not well. Yes, uh, the barriers. barriers. Yeah, barriers. That's a good word. Yeah, barriers towards what I, I describe as men moving closer towards their their wholeness is is the the able to be comfortable in their vulnerability, able to be comfortable as a an emotive human. Um, and and not needing to project uh, this, the I think you, you you talked about it in the earlier part of this conversation using the word traditional not project project the traditional sort of masculine bravado type of thing um, and 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 it's both ways because sometimes uh, it's not just men that feel uncomfortable around vulnerable men yeah <laughs> it, it can also be it can also be women and. Uh, yeah, so it, I, I, I find that an area that, that um, I'd like to see more healing in. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it is a challenging one. That, that's one of those ones that there's a few challenges that come with that. One is um, in the place of work, right? So we've got a new generation yeah. coming through, and I don't like talking about millennials. I wish that was not the name of the generation, but that's, that's two generations to me because those born from 1990 are very different mindset from those born from 1980 purely just because of technology, right? And yeah. they're, they're more emotive beings. They've got a different kind of cognition in terms of how they, how they think and how they interact. And there's much more about giving emotion into technology than there is human to human, right? So even though that they're more emotive as a generation and more relaxed about talking about their emotions, they're still going to come into a place of work where you're getting lots of pushback about that kind of stuff. And I know... Uh, tons of consultants, some that I like, some that I don't, that make lots of money going into companies talking about millennials, right? It drives me nuts. I just think it's just a, a marketing term. You've got that kind of challenge that goes on with it. And then you've also got what I find really interesting about how you were just describing it, right, is people need to understand what the boundaries are because you've got a lot of, like, when does somebody move from needing something to being needy to being neurotic? Right. Yeah. And we and here's what I mean by that is that I'm not criticizing anyone that's got any neurotic behavior. God knows I've got enough of it myself. Um, what I mean is uh, we've got what if that becomes a mass problem, which I think it is. What if that social yes. stuff is real and it becomes a huge thing and we end up with people sharing way too much or being way too needy? Like there needs to be boundaries with it. But quite honestly, like. If we create that as a problem, then great, because that's a much better problem than treating people wrong without having awareness that you're doing it, you know? So let's yeah. treat the neurotic problem, and that would be a nicer one to solve than the sexism and the race problem and all the other problems that come with that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, 
what do you, given the the uh, some of the the issues that have happened, um, particularly in the United States, um, where it's the, the global media has had more um, lens on it. So I can't really comment about the UK, uh, sure. but the rise of some of these younger younger people. So so the some of the eighteen year olds in response to the shootings, but then also some of the the young politicians like Alexandria um, Ocasio Cortez is twenty seven. Because these are the, these are the people that are sort of in that that demographic that you're speaking about, um, and I, I see some of these these young people, and I go, you know, that we have hope. You know, there's, yeah. there's 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 rising through this morass of of uh, of um, technophobia, um, yeah. as in our self inflicted. Um, self-hate that's comes through social media and 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 including things that I really dislike which is 18 year olds getting uh, injections for their future face non-wrinkling and it, just all of that you know it's just yeah. it's it's just absolutely bamboozles me that we have so little um, self regard uh, or self love um, for the who we are <laughs> Yeah, um, eating disorders—you name it. You know that it, it's all there. In amongst all of that, there is some really phenomenal uh, activism and intelligence that seems to be emerging. Yeah, I guess I guess the there is a rise in demand for socially responsible businesses. Like you are yes. seeing that literally in the United States, I know that they've had a, a demonstrable rise in that type of business being registered. So yes. um, there's a big difference between you know that happening a little bit and a rise, meaning it becomes a trend and things like that as well. So I think that there's opportunities for people to be in front of that kind of rise in demand for a more socially responsible, more conscious type being but I still think that that's going to be a minority. I think to your point is that people getting chips and stuff in them. I think that what we're more likely to see over the next 20 years is two races of humans. And what I mean by two races of humans is that you'll have all these positives that's going to come from AI and robotics and all this kind of change that's going on, right? But you'll also get to the point that we're not that far away from the fact that you can already cleanse your DNA, right? And what I mean by that is you can take away, if you've got a 76% 76 chance of passing on a huge risk of a a cancer gene, you can take that out, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, We're not very far away from chips going into people's heads if they've got depression to manage their chemical release or if they've got a degree of anxiety. So it's not a chip that would completely change the consciousness. It's something that would change one individual thing. Exactly the same as the DNA. The DNA takes away one particular risk that you're passing on to people, right? But yeah. what happens with that kind of stuff, if that, if that was to stop your anxiety or to make you more productive or to give you more serotonin or whatever, right, is that yeah. that's only going to be available to people that can afford it. And then yeah. in about 10 years' time, that'll, the price of that will come down and other people can buy it and it goes on and on and on. But because that is such a technology-led component, is that we're not that far away from from the haves and have-nots being a very, very real thing, where people have, you know, somebody's got enough money to have five chips in their head, and somebody else, which is the mass of people, can't afford any of the chips, and you end up with two different races of humans. And that's not Mm -hmm. some sci-fi thing. Like, I really want to re-emphasize that we're just talking about a chip that does one functional thing. 
but it makes the person more productive and thus better at what they do. And it wouldn't be long before those chips are listed on CVs. And if you don't have a chip, then it's like you didn't go to university, so we won't give you an interview. It's the same kind of deal. And that's, that's you know, the future of humanity to me. I've just written down, how do you feel about the future of humanity? <laughs> no, ser- seriously, I, we're going we're gonna to sort of wrap up now. But, you know, that, just listening to you going, oh, my God, I, 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 I met um, a couple of weeks ago. I had a conversation with one of, a brilliant, beautiful conversation with one of literally the most um, highly regarded uh, business people in Australia and we started off talking about the 100-year plan and it was just one of the most inspiring conversations that I've had in a long time knowing that that um, that there are leaders of industry who actually are genuinely interested in human thriving over 100 years. <laughs> However, you've just told me all this stuff and so how do you feel about the future uh, of humanity? How do you feel about based on all of that and, and what is your hope that for us my, my if you have is, any. Yeah, no, I have, I have a hope for sure. Like, what I would love to be part of is, is moving people to a higher state of consciousness. Um, okay. You know, I've spent... Without the, with or without the chip? Um, <laughs> that's a good question. I don't know. It depends what the chips are. Is my honest response to it? Like, my ethics okay. dropped a little bit. It's like, <laughs> it's like let's see what okay. the chips are. But, you know, I've, I've just spent three and a bit years studying the human algorithm. Like, what makes us think what gives us purpose what gives us energy what holds us back all these kind of different machinations with it and my overall want and what i've gained from it is is enlightenment for myself is an understanding of my own consciousness and i'd like to keep continuing on on that journey and i'd like to help other people along there as well because consciousness and understanding yourself is how you can liberate yourself and find a life that you truly want and something that you enjoy so I'd love that. I'd like, I'd like people to, to rise up and understand that who they are is completely uh, changeable or not, depending on what mental state they're in, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, it's the often quoted, rarely understood and rarely applied um, Gandhi quote, be the change. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah yeah so very nice well i'm i'm uh we're gonna wrap on that note i i'd um so how do people um if they're interested in your work and the work that you've done over the last uh uh well particularly the last few years but over your lifetime how how can people get in touch with you uh, so mastermindset.co is one of those modern things. So it's just .co, so mastermindset.co, or they can email me, which is MCL, um, so Mother Charlie Lima at mastermindset.co. And I'm always open to having a conversation with people or, or just a chat like what we've just done. So just to be clear with people, I don't sell any coaching services about consciousness, and I'm not a mentor about consciousness or anything like that. I just enjoy chatting about it. Um, oh, very, very. Yeah, there's lots of insights on the site and stuff like that, so they can see what whatever they want to really. Very nice, and uh, I'll put those uh, links and everything else like that in the show notes as well, uh, so that people can access them. Well, Martin, um, thank you so much um, for a, a wide-ranging and wonderful conversation. More importantly, thank you for uh, your commitment and contribution to the evolution of human consciousness because I'm with you. I think uh, we, we've got to invest in that uh, more than anything 
if we want to get a world that actually makes it for the next 100 years. You're very welcome. Thank you, Christine. Lovely. Thank you. To listen to more of these conversations and access the show notes, visit 223am.com. That's the number two, the number two, the number three am.com and experience a whole new kind of success and fulfillment. If you've got what it takes, experience a session directly with Dr. Christine McDougall. Visit 223am.com and apply now. Thanks for listening.